Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. This scripture is one of those that is pretty, uh, it's, it's one of the better known pieces of scripture um, that uh, even if you're not a believer, even if someone isn't a believer at all, they likely have heard pieces of a story or at least a phrase from this story. The fact that Jesus walked on water, right? Like we kind of know that. Uh, my sons, uh, when we were at the beach this week, they kept, like I noticed my one son, he just kept running in the pool. Like, like I mean, like he was out of the pool and he would just run as fast as he could and just like fall off the edge. Finally, he says, uh, Pop, is it, is it possible to run on water if you go fast enough? <laughs> so I've seen animals do that. There's like some bug I know that does that. Some of them are lighter than water, but I don't think you have a shot at it. But, so. but people know that. Like they've, they've heard this scripture. And so, here, so let's read it again this morning. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. And then we'll kind of talk through it a little bit. It says these words, immediately Jesus made the disciples get out of the boat, or get into the boat, and go on ahead of him to the other side, and while he, dis- while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage as I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and called him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this scripture uh, is pretty common. It's pretty familiar. Uh, We understand the context with which it was spoken at least to a general sense. We understand this was Jesus and his 11 guys, 12 guys that he had brought around him, that they had seen all this stuff. What what had they just seen, right? You know what came right before this? It was a feeding of the 5,000. It was one of those feedings of the 5,000. And so they just experienced this kind of thing they hadn't seen before. I mean, at this point, to the best of our knowledge, the disciples had seen some physical healing, some blind being healed, and some lame walking. Uh, they had seen water turn to wine, certainly. Maybe they'd even seen a dead person raised to life. And all of those things seem to at least have some kind of genesis. Like you can kind of see how death would come to life. You don't really understand it, but uh, I've heard stories and I've known people actually who have been either on an operating table or in an operating room or in some sort of medical situation where someone's life has gone from their body and it's brought back. So that's not 
completely unfamiliar. You can kind of see the genesis of where it went out and it kind of came back, right? Uh, the lame walking, like there's, there, are, there are legs there, right? And we can kind of see they're just not working. And so we can see the kind of the beginnings of that, you know. It kind of makes a little bit of sense, right? We can see, you know, blind, their sockets, their eyes in the sockets, they're just not, something's not working. And so Jesus, through different things, rubs mud or speaks to it or however it happens in different times and different ways. And so the demons being driven out of people like that, we see a genesis to it. We see a demon-possessed person. This was an interesting miracle in that we do see the genesis of it, right? Like there are fish and loaves, but it's a little bit. And he just kind of keeps multiplying it, just like in the Old Testament. Remember with Elijah and the widow, she had a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour, and just kind of the oil just kind of kept being there, kept being there, never really went out. And so um, we've seen kind of this thing happen. And this was kind of this an amazing event. And so that it happens, and they, Jesus sends the people on out. It says, go on about your way. Now that you've seen this show, and I'm sure it wasn't just for that, but God did reveal his glory. He had compassion. said he had compassion on Let's feed them some food. Let's get them some. And they, and they headed on home. And so Jesus told his disciples, hey, get on out of here. Now, here's an interesting miracle. Excuse me. Jesus had just shown himself to be at least equal to what they had seen, right? They had seen the soothsayers, the magicians, the people who kind of did that. They had seen them kind of create stuff out of seemingly thin air, whether it be sleight of hand or really was tapping into some kind of spiritual realm. It wasn't... Like, people went to these folks for a reason, right? There was people in their communities who were these magicians and different things. It's why the kings surrounded themselves with the, with the magicians and with the people who would do this because it wasn't as if they never did anything. If it was, then they would just eventually laugh them off. You know, if you have a friend who keeps telling you they have, you know, some special power, I mean, at first, like, oh, cool. I'm going to hang around see if I can see this. But if it doesn't happen, eventually, you're just like, okay, that's enough of that. Eventually, like, nobody believes in magic because they haven't seen it. And the reason they believe in it is because it, it, was, it happened, right? I mean, the prophets of Baal didn't produce the fire that, that, was, to come, that was to come down from heaven like Elijah did, like God did through Elijah and consumed this thing. Like they didn't, but they had been able to do some stuff before. If not, they would have never been in that position and... And how that happens, I don't know. I'm not getting into that, right? I have no clue. But when Jesus walks on water, that's a little bit different scenario, right? Like that's not, like that's putting yourself like beyond the magicians of the day, right? Like that's kind of a, that's one of the reasons we got into the boat. If, if you notice, unlike a previous story in Matthew, Jesus didn't speak to the waves and the wind, right? There was another story. Remember Jesus spoke to the waves and the wind, said, peace, be still, calm down. Jesus didn't even speak to it. It was almost out of reverence for him. The wind and waves just died. That was different. They said, really, this is the Son of God. 
So we have to say that part of the story because that is very significant, but it's not really where I want to focus on. I think one of the more interesting parts of this story, well, there's two. One at the very beginning, one at the very end. At the very end of the story is what? Jesus walks to them on the water. They're afraid. Peter says, hey, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come. He gets out of the boat and he's walking on water. That's a pretty remarkable part of the story. It's not just God walking on water. He actually allows for some normal human to do that. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying to his disciples, in fact, he actually uses this language later on, I want you to do what I'm doing. It wasn't just, I'm doing this just to show you all sorts of cool stuff. It's like, I want you guys to do this. But Peter looks at the wind and the waves, and he begins to doubt, and he starts to sink, and he cries out, Lord, help me, because what did he know? He knew where his help lie. It was in the hands of Jesus. And so Jesus reached down his hands and helped him up. He said, well, you little faith, why did you doubt? Of all the disciples, Peter was the only one who walked, but Jesus regards even his faith in that moment as less than what a disciple should have. So he's constantly teaching. So that's a pretty significant part. We're going to get there. Another significant part that I want to start with is at the very beginning. How does the story start out? Verse 22 says, Immediately, sent the crowds away, he instructed the disciples to get in the boat. And then he went to go pray. We can't, we can't leave out the part of the story because we do see that Jesus, the Son of God, needed prayer, needed that time alone with his Father. If he needed that, what does that say for us? Like, we must spend our whole lives in that space, in that place. We don't even have a hope without it, right? And that's kind of what God was wanting them to understand. But here's another thing. What do we know about the disciples later in this story? Just a couple verses after Jesus instructs them to get in the boat, what's, what's, what's happening to them? My translation says, I don't know what your translation said, but my translation said it was buffeted by the wind and the waves, right? They had a storm. They're in a boat. It's not looking good. Who told them to get in the boat? Jesus. Much like last week, as Gabe brought the message from Genesis, much like the story of Jacob, when the angel reached out and touched his socket, sometimes the thing that maims us, right? Sometimes the thing that's scaring us, sometimes the thing that's making us nervous, sometimes the thing that we're walking that seems like turmoil, Jesus sent us to it. What is the temptation sometimes when you do something and everything seems to go to Hades, right? I must have done the wrong thing. We're like, Job's friends, like, what in the world did I do wrong? How in the world did I get myself into this? What did I do wrong? Now, this is not to say that there is not truth in Scripture that says when we are disobedient, there is consequences. This is not to negate that. But it's also to say that sometimes God's the one that sends us to it. 
That was certainly true for the disciples. From the setting, we see this. Jesus is a man of prayer. The setting of the story is Jesus sends him away. He's a man of prayer. But he sends his disciples. He tells them immediately, get out into the boat. So while he's praying, he's telling the disciples, get out into the boat. Go on a cross. They run into the storm that Jesus sent them into. Don't fall for the temptation of believing that just because things aren't going easy that God has left. Don't fall into temptation uh, that when things bad happen, it's because you've done something bad or that the people it's happening to have done something bad. This week, there's a Falwell who got in the news. You may have read that, but the father Falwell used to be really popular about saying when bad things would happen in a certain place, sometimes in the U.S., sometimes other places. The last one I remember before he passed away was um, uh, the earthquake in the Dominican Republic in Haiti. That's because of these godless people. What if God sent them there so that he could display his glory? What if his glory was supposed to come through our hands? Don't fall for the temptation that's out there, that when something wrong is happening, that God is doing it to punish somebody. And, and even if that is the case, even if God is allowing us, because we, that is true, right? One of the scriptures, I don't know if you guys have this, I have the little Bible app from version on my phone, so every morning it kind of gives me a new Bible verse. And one of them was, I think it was yesterday, maybe the day before, that each of us, when we're tempted, we're led away by our own evil desires. There's another point in Scripture where it says that God gives us over to our own evil desires. It's eventually something we kept wanting, kept wanting, wanting. It eventually gave us over to it. Let us experience the tragedy that happens because of that. So it's not to say that's untrue. That absolutely is true. We see truth in that. We've experienced truth in that. But also, sometimes God said, get on out there in the water. Now, if you read the Greek, it's a strong word. When he says he instructed all this, how does mind say it? Immediately, Jesus made the disciples. He says he made them. We can read over that word pretty easily. Made is not a very forceful word, but when someone makes you do something, like that is true. Like that's what happened. Jesus made them. The, the Greek word is a very emphatic word. Like it was like a parent telling the child, this is what you're going to do, right? I don't care what you want to do. This is what you're going to do. Get into the boat. Go. Jesus forced them. He made them go. Made them go right into the middle of a storm. It was exactly what God had planned. I didn't want to let that scripture get away from us this morning. Just like last week when Jacob was wrestling and wrestling and wrestling with God. The angel finally hit his hip. As far as we know, he had a limp for the rest of his life. But it was what God did. And it wasn't a curse, right? It was almost a, a reminder. It was almost like those stones, remember, when they crossed the river. And they set stones up as they're going into the promised land to remember. It was almost as a place to remember I think one of the biggest miracles in the story is not Jesus walking on the water. It's not Peter walking on the water. It's not the story that came before the feeding of the 5,000. It was the fact that, that there was a feeding of the 5,000. 
But rather than sticking around, right, to receive all the praise and accolades to build his ministry, what does Jesus do? He sends the crowds away. I think that's one of the biggest miracles in the whole thing. Because that's the exact opposite of what we would do, right? It's the exact opposite of what we've been conditioned to do. It's the exact opposite of what we would want our pastor to do or our church leaders to do. Like when something good is happening, let's capitalize. Like now's the time to strike while the iron's hot. Let's write a book about it. Let's make a lot of money, right? Let's, 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 let's come back tomorrow night. Let's have a revival. Let's let this thing go on for seven or eight or nine weeks. See what else God can do. But Jesus performed this miracle and immediately he shunned all the political trappings of it. He said, I'm not getting wrapped up in this. This is not why I came. This is not what I was here for. Let me go pray. Jesus was very focused on what God had called him to do. And he didn't let all the things that could distract him distract him. I think that's probably one of the biggest miracles in the whole thing. Because if Jesus was fully God, the temptation is there to make this happen. Like now is the time. And we see many places where that's true. That's true even, we even see what looks like a capitalization of that, right? Right after Jesus is raised from the dead, Jesus enters into Jerusalem at the beginning of Holy Week. The crowds are there. They're going crazy. It's almost like we've capitalized on it. Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking in a moment? We've capitalized on it. Finally, people finally see what we see. This is great. This is good. The ministry's booming. Everything's going great. Jesus was focused on one thing, and it was a thing he didn't want to do. He's in the garden hours before he's doing it, praying, God, if there's another way, any other way, would you please let that happen? But he's singularly focused. Not my will. I want what you will to be done. Church, this morning, that's where we rest in the middle of all those temptations. We rest in the middle of the temptation to either blame God or blame someone's sin when things aren't going right. Blame God or maybe even blame our own sin when things aren't going right in our own life. We rest in that the middle of wanting to emulate him, but seeing Jesus walking on water and wanting to emulate him, but scared of what that's really going to mean if we step out of the boat. And sometimes we start to, and we see all the stuff around saying, man, this is too much, and we start to sink. We sit in the middle of that temptation of wanting to capitalize when things are good rather than just being focused on the one thing that God's called us to or the two thing. I don't know what God's called you to, but I do know that our call is to display the kingdom of God, and that is what Jesus was pointing at his disciples, the display of the kingdom of God. I want you to do what I do. I don't want you to just memorize what I said. Peter gets out and actually starts to do it, and he still didn't have enough faith, and Jesus was driving that home because he's beginning to say, hey, you don't even have the faith yet that you need as a disciple. You're going to one day, right? When the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will then be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the rest of the earth. Even though just a couple weeks earlier you denied you even knew me, you're going to eventually, and that is 
for the believer, for the Christian, for those of us who desire to be disciples of Jesus, we have to go beyond memorizing the words Jesus said. I mean, that's good to memorize them because we need to, we need those reminders, and sometimes we're in the midst of it, have Scripture just come to us like, oh, thank you that I remembered that. Thank you, God, that you brought that back to my memory. But he wants us to do what he said. In the midst of this pandemic, right, everything seems like it's going wrong. And if you guys uh, are on social media at all or even hear people talking at all, have unless you've isolated yourself completely from sight, you've heard somebody say, this has all come on us because of some sort of sin, right? So we're, we're in the middle of that tension and other tensions. And people feel isolated now more than ever. more than ever in recent history. People feel like they can't be the church because the building is shut down. And in some states, the buildings are shut down. In some states, they can't go. And we were having this discussion last Friday as we were recording the, the uh, worship service for this past Sunday um, of a particular pastor in California who's really like willing to... Fight this battle, and I understand there's there, it's not uh, one it's not a black or white issue. It's very much gray, and there's lots of different facets. But the truth is, what they're experiencing there is what a lot of believers are experiencing is like what happens when we can't gather in the one place. Is it what Israel went through when the Babylonians came in and ransacked Jerusalem and they broke down the temple and destroyed it? Where do we worship? Our entire rhythms of worship were tied to this place. And now it's been destroyed and all the stuff has been taken out of it. And what do we do? That wasn't a problem the early church had. The early church, they didn't have a place. I mean, they still kind of went to the temple because that's what they knew. They were Jewish. They were, they actually believed in the fullness of Scripture now. They said, now the Messiah has come, so we're still going to the temple. But the temple eventually said, we don't want you. In fact, we're going to try to kill you. We're going to put you in prison. We're going to beat you. Didn't matter. They just gathered in homes. It's like, this is what we believe. This is what we've seen. This is what we know to be true. We know this got to be the Messiah. We have to, what else are we going to do? So they just got together and worshiped Jesus. Church didn't end because they couldn't meet together in one building, but we have felt that tension, haven't we? I was having a conversation with my wife. She doesn't feel comfortable bringing the kids here to this building yet because you guys have met my kids. They don't stay out of anybody's faces. They don't stay out of anything. So it's just doesn't feel comfortable. It's like... A, can't really engage with church, and I feel isolated. And she was just acknowledging, you know, the reality of that. She also knew that it wasn't like some of it wasn't her fault. She's like, she's like, I need to get some ladies around me that we can pray with. And it's like, yeah, that's church, right? Church isn't listen to Friar board a snot out of me for you know thirty minutes and hear some good singing and go home. Like church is, let's get together, let's pray, let's. Let's emulate, let, let iron sharpen iron. Let us lean on each other. Let us pray for each other. Let us 
encourage one another to display the kingdom of God so that those people who don't yet know Christ can know Christ. They can find the peace. They can know what happens once they move on out of this earth into the next one. They know that the next one is filled with the mercy and knowledge and goodness of Christ that they can only see dimly now, but one day they're going to see face to face and people need to know that. And they only know that through us. And that's why Jesus wanted his disciples not to memorize the words, hey, you can walk on the water. He didn't walk by the boat and say, hey, you guys memorize that? All right, good, I'll see you on the other side. Y'all keep memorizing that. He said, I want you to do this. I want you to walk on water. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to love your enemy. You can't do that on your own. That's ridiculous to think you could do that on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to want to love your enemy. I want to punch my enemy in the face most of the time. Not literally, because I have two hurt wrists. <laughs> but like inside, I'm like, oh, I would really like this guy to get his due. I want you to emulate me. You're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. You're not going to hate your enemy. You're not going to seek revenge. You're not going to want them to get theirs. You're going to love your enemy. You're going to spread peace as far as it depends on you. Be at peace with everybody. Not be as snarky as possible on social media, but be at peace with everybody. You're going to feed the hungry. You're going to visit the sick. You're not going to memorize those words. You're going to do them. That was what Jesus wanted. And the good news for us, Willie sang a song for us earlier. And I say Willie sang a song. Everybody in here was singing it. Everybody knew the song. That we're free. There is freedom in knowing that we all we have to do is just do what Jesus did and gave us the power to do. We don't have to worry about what anybody else says about it. We, we get to live in a freedom knowing that if we lift Christ up, he will do the drawing of all men to himself. We just have the burden of lifting him up. And how heavy a burden is that? It's not at all. Because he's given us freedom to just be able to do it. In whatever way, in whatever method, his Holy Spirit prompts us. And then once we see the glory of God on display, as he does it through our own lives, as he does it through the lives of our church family or other believers that we know, the only response to that is to worship, which was the disciples' response. Jesus teach them, teaches them this lesson. They haven't perfected it. Peter was the only one who really even attempted to follow Jesus' actually actions. He was the only one who actually got out of the boat and said, let's give it a shot. The rest of them stayed in the boat. So they didn't perfect it. But their response to Jesus was one to worship. As soon as he got in, this miracle was different than the other ones. The other ones looked a lot like the magic of the day. 
They didn't they were any less miraculous. It was the power of God working. But they had seen the magicians do that. They hadn't seen anything like this. As soon as he got in the boat, the wind stopped. They said, holy cow, this guy's for real. That's a paraphrase. What they actually said was, truly, you are the son of God. Truly, you are exactly who you say you are. That's the response that happens when people see the power of this God's kingdom on display. And that is what each of us have the opportunity and the, really the burden, not the opportunity. That was the wrong word. We have the burden. We have the ability. We have the call to do that, to display the kingdom of God, however it looks. For Jesus this night, it looked like walking on the water. Just a little bit earlier, it looked like feeding hungry people, Right? There are times where it looked like being a friend to Zacchaeus, who didn't have any friends because nobody liked him because he was a jerk. Jesus was a friend to him, and it changed his life. Other times it looked like the sea party. like The kingdom of God has looked different throughout the all of Scripture. We see it from Genesis to Revelation. The kingdom of God looks different. But it looks unique for every each person needs it. And God gives us, through the power of his Holy Spirit, the ability to display the kingdom of God as people need it wherever we are. And in doing that, the natural response is just like when Jesus got in a boat. Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, whatever is working in you is real. It's not fake. It's not UNICEF, right? It's not... Uh, Red Cross, who's just helping me out in this little bit of time. Like, that's real. And so we get to play a part in that. And that is good news for us. It's even better news for those who don't yet know Jesus. Let's pray. God, we've, we're thankful that you didn't just call us to memorize your words and try to live them out without some sort of example. You actually came. You actually lived this life. You showed us how to do it. We can't do it perfect like you did. We've already blown that opportunity many times over. But we've seen the example. And we know what it is. But we've let... We've let things get in the way, whether it be our... I don't, know, I don't even know how to name it, God. I know that I've been guilty of, hey, all I need to do is memorize this scripture. I can tell everybody, yeah, we're supposed to love our enemies. How do we actually do that? I can tell people, yeah, we need to feed the hungry, but we actually have to. God, so we thank, we thank you so much that you didn't just come and give us a textbook or a bunch of lectures, but that we see examples of you living this out. 
and that you gave us examples of people who tried to live it out and failed and had to reach out and grab your hand, knowing that you were the only way they were going to survive in the midst of this. God, you've given us the freedom to just trust in you. And it sounds simple. It was that call to Peter, come, it's simple. But we step out and it looks a lot more difficult. So God, we pray that you would give mercy and grace as we follow you and we mess up or it doesn't go the way that we planned or how we hoped. God, we're thankful that you give mercy in the midst of that and that you give grace. God, we thank, we're thankful that you are a good God, that you love us. God, give us encouragement to step out. If all we've been doing is sitting back memorizing, God, give us the courage to step out. If we have stepped out, God, give us more and more faith to trust and know that you are good and you are who you say you are. God, we love you. We're thankful that even in the midst of a storm, you are there. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.